Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joel Show podcast. Today on the pod, from roads to bridges to flights to power, we'll bring you the latest as snow and freezing rain continues to hammer the south coast and a year to forget we look back at the vancouver real estate industry's tumultuous year and what to expect in 2023 and later our rap panel discusses the popularity of the cheesy spectaculars that are hallmark christmas movies and we find out who's on their yearly naughty and nice list that's all next on the jazz joe hall show well, it's been a very eventful week over at Vancouver International Airport with this snowstorm. Uh, WestJet uh, cancelled all flights arriving and departing from the Vancouver Airport uh, from 11.50 p.m. Uh, last night until, well, d- uh, late this afternoon until 5.50 p.m., dependent on weather conditions. In addition, the airline cancelled flights at airports in Victoria, Nanaimo, Abbotsford and Comox. Air Canada also cancelled dozens of flights at the uh, at Vancouver Airport on Friday as well. So it's been very, very eventful. Um, uh, week for them. Lots going on. Joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, the storm itself and uh, where the airport is at presently is Tamara Vrooman. She's president and CEO of the Vancouver Airport Authority. Tamara, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Jeff. Uh, Can you just give us an update in regards to the present situation at the airport in regards to flights getting in and out? Yeah, certainly the airport is open and fully operational. We've got our snow clearing equipment out and the uh, the uh, taxiways, the runways and the apron is uh, is clear. Um, we have we are running about 50% of flights. We've had 50% flight cancellation. As you said at the top, that's really uh, amounting from the cancellations from WestJet and Air Canada. They did a good job, though, of communicating those cancellations early so passengers whose flights were cancelled didn't come to the airport and only passengers with confirmed flights have been coming to YVR. We've been processing those folks uh, normally. It's been going quite smoothly. We also lifted the international arrival 48-hour ban that we put on in order to clear the congestion from the earlier uh, weather storm we had in the week. That lifted as scheduled at 5 a.m. this morning, so international flights departing and arriving are also uh, going uninterrupted. We did have two uh, issues with... uh, International flights, uh, one with Air India that was due to take off but had a mechanical issue unrelated to weather on the plane. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it wasn't safe to fly, so that uh, that flight was canceled. And then Singapore Airlines inbound hit a uh, bird, and uh, so the aircraft needs to be inspected. It's been inspected now, and it'll be taken off at 9 p.m. How long do you think it'll take uh, the airport to, to get back to normal. I know you, you, you're, everything is running, uh, you're about 50% capacity, but this is still going to take a few more days before you get back to your, the usual normal. Certainly that's true. You know, this is a very, very busy time, uh, not only for airports, but of course for airlines as well. And when you have two uh, weather events like what we've had and you have a number of people where they've had their flights uh, cancelled and need to be rebooked, uh, it's very difficult to find the space to do that because, of course, all of the uh, future flights are also full because of the busy nature of the holiday uh, season. So it does take several days often to get all of those rebookings and cancellations processed. 
and uh, we certainly expect that to be the case this time. Uh, in regards to uh, those long waits on Tuesday, just for our audience, what caused that? Was it just a question of flights not being able to get out? Uh, walk me through that Tuesday, because I think that was the, probably the most challenging day for the airport. Yes, it certainly was. Uh, what happened that is that we had uh, snow that came uh, Monday night and early Tuesday morning. Certainly that was in the forecast. We were prepared for it. We had fully uh, cleared the runways and the uh, aprons, so there was no issue around the snow removal. But the problem was uh, when the snow came, it was quite heavy and thick. And so while we had full de-icing working, uh, the problem is the regulations that specify when it's safe to fly say that once you've de-iced an aircraft and you've removed the snow on the wing, there's a certain length of time that is tolerable by international regulations between when an aircraft is de-iced and when it is uh, actually taking off. That is the minimum or maximum amount of time that you can have there. And what happened was the snow was so dense and and accumulating so quickly for a short period of time, we would de-ice an aircraft, be fully de-iced and clear, ready to go. But by the time it got actually on the runway, ready to take off, the snow had accumulated again, and therefore it wasn't uh, 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 legal from a regulatory point of view to take off, nor safe. So then it would have to come all the way back and go through that de-icing process again. That caused congestion uh, on the airfield and uh, essentially a ground stop, which meant that there was no longer capacity and we had a number of aircraft awaiting to access a gate or remote stand operations, which are stairs that come to an aircraft. That uh, Those waits ended up being quite long in some, ta- in some time periods and frankly were totally unacceptable. And so we changed our process uh, as soon as we saw those waits uh, to allow for aircraft to come off the gates, uh, regardless of when they uh, first access those gates to make way for aircraft that are waiting. You know, it's one thing to wait on an aircraft uh, for a length of time after you land. It's quite another if you're coming in from a long haul flight, 16 hours from somewhere like Manila, Mm -hmm. and have to stay uh, on an aircraft. Totally unacceptable. We made the changes uh, in consultation with the airlines. The airlines accepted them. And uh, since we've had uh, no holds uh, Wednesday, Thursday, or today. Wonderful. Tamara, thank you so much. And if we don't get to chat, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks very much. Same to you, Jess. Well, the BC Real Estate Association released stats in mid-December that show a 50% drop in sales from November 2021 province-wide. That alone gives you an idea of what a year it's been for the real estate industry in 2022. Joining me now to discuss the year that was and what to expect in 2023 is Steve Streski, a realtor for Oakwin Realty. Steve, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so is there a word or phrase that would best describe uh, 2022 when it comes to real estate in Metro Vancouver uh, for you? Uh, volatile. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a pretty pretty crazy start of the year. You know, we had the j- really insane January, February, and into March, and it kind of peaked and then rolled over, and it rolled over pretty aggressively. It was a pretty sharp turn. And, uh, yeah, I mean, huge, you know, fastest rate hiking cycle in in what, 30, 40 years. So, um, you know, made a pretty big change. Was there a particular moment where uh, it hit you that, boy, this, we're about to go on our long slide? Was it a particular announcement or day or, uh, or a particular month where you said, okay, this is going to be different? Uh, I think it was, I think I want to say it was in July. I think the Bank of Canada did the 100 basis point rate hike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw them coming out with 50s here and there. And, 
you know, I think at the beginning of the year, Scotia Bank had the most aggressive forecast and said they'll raise rates. Uh, I think I think they had about 200 basis points of tightening price, and that was sort of at the high end of, of expectations. And obviously, we got 400 this year. So uh, I think once once we saw that 100 basis points in the summer, I think that really showed that uh, you know this is going to be different. What is the mood uh, in the industry now when you talk to realtors? I mean, has it forced some some realtors out of the business, or um, are others just you know barely selling a property or two what's what what is the mood like in the industry yeah i think that uh, i think it's you know anecdotally you hear people of you know you know these guys aren't going to renew their license or stuff like that but it's it's it, i would say it's pretty small i don't pay too close attention to that i mean we definitely know that people are going to be leaving the industry and there's i think a lot of people that came into it over the last you know 18 to 24 months looking for the the quick easy buck as we were in a you know pretty hot bull market there so I'm not really overly surprised there. I think that, you know, the reality is if you look at sales volumes, I mean, they're down 40 to 50% from last year. So, you know, if you're a realtor, I mean, for the most part, yeah, you're seeing, you know, even a top even a top producer is going to be seeing, you know, 25, uh, 30% or so reduction in, in volumes. Uh, you know, granted, we're coming off of really, I think, unsustainable levels, but, you know, mortgage originations across the nation are down 30 plus percent as well. So, you know, if you're a mortgage broker as well, you're just, you're just doing less uh, less volume. A lot of folks are on variable rate mortgages, um, and that's catching up with a lot of folks. Do you th- see potentially, you know, bankruptcy numbers going up early in the new year? Um, and and really, the the what the real estate agents have already been seeing, the industry's been seeing. Do you see more of that in regards to the impacting of actual consumers who may have signed up with contracts to purchase properties or had variable rate mortgages? Do you see more bankruptcies coming? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're again we're at very very low levels given all the you know the stimulus measures that we've seen over the last couple of years. So we're going to grow from that level. I think uh, you know I'm personally looking at it and definitely would be concerned. I think that uh, you know just chatting with people day to day, clients, you know, friends, et cetera, stuff like that. You know, people that have these fixed uh, or sort of these variable rate mortgages or fixed payment variable mortgages that hit the trigger rates. I mean, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, a million dollar mortgage, for example, if you took one out, which, you know, in Vancouver, if you're looking for a detached house, I mean, anyone almost probably has a million dollar mortgage. Now you're up about uh, over $2,000 a month on your monthly payment after tax disposable income so that's gonna that's that's a huge hit i mean even if you had a five hundred thousand dollar you know more modest mortgage your monthly payments up over a thousand bucks a month so i think that that's gonna bite it definitely takes time you know they say interest rate hikes take you know on average at least 12 months to work through the real economy i mean we we were still hiking rates as of right now i mean our last hike here was in december so we haven't really felt full brunt uh, of these these rate hikes, you know, the housing market certainly seen it because it's very interest rate sensitive. But I think in terms of its impact on other parts of the economy, I think that's still coming. Have we hit bottom in your mind in regards to uh, sales, and then from moving forward into 2023, nothing to to see but going up slowly. But but the bottom, the worst is behind us. I think that sales volumes, I think we've probably bottomed. I mean, it's hard to get a whole lot worse than you know, given the months. I mean, more or less, we're we're pretty much running at levels last seen during the 0809 financial crisis or you know in some cases 20 year lows depending on the month so you know these are not sustainable levels of sales volumes it's really because you have this this sort of disconnect between uh you know buyers what they're willing to pay and obviously sellers what they want to sell so i think 
sales volume wise, I think we were going to see the lows for sure. I think that, but prices, I think is another question. I don't, I don't know if we're at the bottom for prices. My base case is no, I think there's probably more downside to go, but that obviously depends on the, the level of interest rates. I mean, the reality is if we still have mortgage rates with a five handle in front of it, um, that's, that's going to be a challenge for the housing market to digest. I don't think prices have actually, uh, you know, you've lost 30% of your purchasing power. So that's, that's the reality. And, and you, know, you should say, well, are prices down 30%? The answer is no. So we're dealing with levels of affordability that are extremely uh, strict. Uh, you know, it's the worst levels of affordability on record going back to the 1980s. So prices, the reality is, is prices have not adjusted enough yet to sort of offset these rate hikes. Now, again, if rates start coming back down and, you know, the second quarter of next year, then, then, you know, yeah, maybe we'll start talking about, you know, a, a price floor. Uh, in regards to, uh, next year, uh, there's been, there, we're expecting to see rule changes as well in regards to foreign buyers, uh, which this is a federal, a federal legislation. Uh, how much of impact do you think we'll have in regards to that? Uh, well, I mean, the way that we quantify foreign buyers, right. I know there's a you know very hot button topic here. I mean, if you look at it, strictly looking at someone's passport, for example. I mean, that uh, the BC government collects data on that and, uh, you know, made up about 1% of all transactions in BC uh, over the last 12 months. So it, by that measure, it's pretty insignificant. Now, the, the federal government says, okay, you know, we've, we've they've provided exemptions for foreign workers and foreign students uh, in Canada. So really, I, I don't think it's really designed to have a whole lot of bite, Um so, yeah, and I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, the government's sort of policy objective or economic plan here is import as many people as possible and sell them housing. Um, you know, we pulled in over 800,000 new, added eight, over 800,000 new people into Canada over the past 12 months. That's a 50-year high. Um, so, naturally, I can see why the government has, is allowed you know, foreign workers and foreign students to, to purchase housing. I mean, it's, you want to invite these people into the country and tell them they're not allowed to buy housing. It's maybe a bit of a disincentive. Well, it's going to be a very interesting year, that's for sure, uh, moving forward. want to appreciate, want to say thank you to you for today and uh, always being available to talk about a very important industry here uh, in British Columbia. Steve, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm sure there'll be lots more to chat about in 23. Yesterday, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming and Emergency Management Minister Bowen Ma spoke about the impending storm hitting the Lower Mainland and South Coast. Now, critics have said they've heard little from the ministers during this difficult period, and uh, in in some cases in the past, bureaucrats have instead been have been put up uh, front and center to deal with questions of how uh, the uh, snow response and storm response um, has been going. Now, a few weeks ago, some commuters were stuck in a 12-hour commute home when the first storm hit here in the Lower mainland. Uh, Councillors since then have said that the balkanized and siloed response to snow removal in the region spread over municipalities and the province and private contractors needs a thorough review. Joining me now to discuss the issue is opposition leader Kevin Falcon, who is also a former transportation minister. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Uh, great to be with you, Jazz. Uh, your thoughts on all this? I mean, we're in the midst of uh, a storm right now. Uh, the Alex Fraser Bridge, Portman Bridge, shut down. Uh, SkyTrain as well, Millennium Line and the Expo Line. Um, your thoughts overall, just on 
our response collectively, especially Victoria's, to this snowstorm? Look, you know, I was a transportation minister for six years, one of the longest serving in the province. And, uh, you know, I can't recall a situation where a snowstorm caused such chaos in virtually everything. I mean, our, our ferries, the other day I was noticing all the ferry cancellations. They, they were saying due to weather events, but the bad weather hadn't even started yet. Um, I think, frankly, it has more to do with staffing than it does with weather. Um, but I think we need to be honest with the public about that and not try and blame everything on the weather when it might just be staffing issues that are um, resulting in ferries being cancelled left, right and centre. Um, but it's just like um, the absence of seeing the ministers responsible, you know, uh, 10 days ago or whenever it was when we had that first snowstorm, uh, you know, all you, all I heard from Victoria was crickets. And, and that's a time when you want the transportation minister front and centre, frankly, should be over uh, on the lower mainland, uh, you know, meeting with contractors, making sure they have everything they need and making sure that we're getting the messaging out to the public, particularly to people that don't have appropriate snow tires, et cetera, to stay off the roads. And when you're on the roads, get out of the way when you see the uh, the equipment trying to move through to clear the roads. Because one of the things that I learned in my time as a minister is that the timing of snow events is really critical too. If it happens overnight, that's great. Then the equipment gets a chance to get out there, they get on top of it, uh, they can you know largely make sure that the roads are pretty passable. But when it happens during uh, rush hour or when most people are leaving early trying to get home, then it can be totally chaotic if uh, if not you know organized appropriately to ensure that the snow clearing equipment can get through, et cetera. So these are all things that require some direction, leadership, and oversight from Victoria. And I, I think, frankly, we're not seeing that. What I saw the other day was, uh, you know, uh, I'm happy that finally that they found the minister and he appeared along with uh, another junior minister, Bowen Ma, talking about emergency management or something. But um, And I think that's, that's great. But their basic message was stay home and don't go out there. And to your point, uh, this is, you know, these are critical shopping days for a lot of the retailers out there that make or break their business in the final few weeks of, of December. And so um, that's, you know, kind of cold comfort for those folks that are looking forward to, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get through the season and have some modicum of success. So I, I know they're complex issues, but I just think there's been a bit of an absence of leadership here that has uh, uh, concerned me greatly as a former long-serving Minister of Transportation. Daniel Fontaine, uh, City Councilor in New Westminster, Linda Annis, another councillor in Surrey, have been talking about a snow summit. That's not to blame uh, anyone, but they they say that snow removal is siloed uh, in the Lower Mainland between municipalities, 21 municipalities in the Lower Mainland, and then you, of course, have a provincial government as well, responsible for highways, uh, using private contractors, you know, there's there's no, um, in their minds, sort of coordination. It could be better. We need to be discussing these things in an era uh, of climate change. Do you think we need to sort of look at, forget about atmospheric rivers and those things that we've had to deal with in the summer months and, and fall, um, that we should perhaps start looking at snow removal differently, differently just because of climate change and the movement of temperature that can swing by 10 degrees sometimes, that we start, we need to look at snow removal completely differently now? Well, look, I, I think, you know, there's, um, it's fairly straightforward, to be honest with you. Um, but what is really critical is there's a public education element here, too, that I think is important. Because if, to be perfectly blunt, a lot of people haven't got a friggin' clue how to um, drive in the snow. 
um, that is a problem. A lot of people have, uh, you know, tires that are completely inadequate uh, for snow. And we need to make sure that people understand that they ought to be taking public transit uh, if they have limited experience in driving in the snow or they don't have the right uh, tires on their vehicle because they are a big part of the problem when, when you've got um, a confluence of events. So when you have a snow event, a major snow event, that is happening right around the time when most people are trying to get to work or from work, in other words, what we used to call rush hour, um, that is a real big challenge because then the snow moving equipment can't get to where it needs to go to do its job. And in the absence of having the equipment there to clear, um, you get bridges that are you know, piled up with vehicles all over the place. Uh, no one can get through. They're slipping and sliding and they're hitting each other. And suddenly you have to shut down the bridges just because you've got total chaos. I don't ever recall having shut down the bridges while I was minister. Um, I, I, I could be wrong, and I stand to be corrected, but, you know, um, we somehow were, and, and maybe we got lucky in terms of the snow events not happening around that rush hour period, but the total chaos we're seeing does concern me. Can we coordinate better with local? For sure. But there is a fair bit of that that goes on now. Um, you know, a lot of local municipalities, um, you know, they're focused on their main, you know, uh, arteries as they should be, right? That, that's the key. So side streets get ignored completely virtually until they get the main arteries cleared. Um, and where the coordination can take place, and I know it already happens, is that when you've got major contractors like Main Road, they've done a good job of making sure that they've got the supplies of salt they need. They provide that to the cities like Surrey and Vancouver, et cetera, uh, to make sure that they've got the resources they need. There is a fair bit of coordination that goes on. Um, I just think there's a, a bit of a leadership vacuum at the top happening here. Um, and I, I think that, you know, that's something that we have to look at, too. Do you think uh, government should still rely on private contractors? I know there's savings there rather than having everything in-house. Uh, but perhaps uh, in this case, maybe it's look, re-looking at the contract again and making, make, you know, perhaps making it bigger or, or wider in the sense of uh, more resources for, for Main Road or whoever it may be. Um, the reason I say that, it just seems like it's always catch-up in, in this case that we're seeing rather than them being proactive and, and dealing with some of the stuff that's happening. Um, do you still still think we should st- the model of relying on private contractors is the right model? Uh, and B, do we need to be re- look, re- looking at those contracts again and reassessing in an era of climate change and saying, look, things have to be done a little differently. We have to be much more proactive uh, before this stuff starts coming down on the well, mainland? Well, no. For, so first of all, um, I think that the private contractors, they're not perfect for sure, but um, I think if given the resources, they will do their job and they'll do it well. You'll note that throughout most of the rest of the province, there wasn't the same kind of chaos you saw in the lower mainland um, and, and Vancouver Island. I think part of it is um, when the timing of the weather event is really critical, to be honest. Like if, if we're lucky and it starts snowing in the evening, um, that gives them the opportunity to get out there and they get on top of it and they move pretty quickly. I don't care whether you're a private contractor or a government, if when you're trying to get your equipment out there and it's jammed with uh, you know rush hour traffic, it's going to be very, very challenging and no amount of resources uh, or, or whether it's government or private is going to make a difference there. What you have to do is make sure we have to look at things like, for example, making it really clear to people that during a snow event or when it's very clear there is going to be a snow event, that if people are found out there without proper tires, et cetera, there's going to have to be some a lot stiffer penalties uh, for those folks. And, you know, because we we got to keep people off the streets that 
either don't know how to drive in snow or are, have vehicles that are totally um, incapable of driving in the snow because they've got improper snow tires, et cetera, or they haven't got any snow tires and not even the, you know, the ones with the, the leaf on it to uh, allow it to drive in all conditions. So I, I think that's really important, but I wouldn't, it's too easy to blame just the contractors, honestly. Uh, you know, I worked with contractors for six years while I was Minister of Transportation, and for the most part, they do an exceptional job. Um, and I, I just think, you know, I, I want to avoid the easy finger pointing stuff. Believe me, it wouldn't get, uh, suddenly things wouldn't improve if all the, the those uh, contractors were back working in government. In fact, if anything, uh, it, it could even potentially get worse. Kevin, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. And a very Merry Christmas to you and your family and all your listeners. Appreciate it, Jazz. Yesterday on this program, Surrey uh, Police Service Chief um, Norm Lipinski uh, was on the show uh, discussing a report that he um, and the SPS had submitted to the provincial government, which argues in favour of the SPS's readiness to become Surrey's police jurisdiction. Now, Chief Lipinski estimated it would cost roughly $18.9 million, or just a shy under $19 million more a year for a municipal force an expense that works out to less than about $100 million over five years or less than half, uh, according to a recent city report, according to what a recent city report had estimated. So it is costing more than RCMP, but certainly the SPS uh, disagreed with the numbers that the city staff had prepared. Mr. Lipinski said that while the municipal force comes with a higher price a price tag, it also allows for more local accountability as well as more flexibility that allows for quicker reform. Well, today the officer in charge of the Surrey RCMP has issued a scathing condemnation of the city's fledgling municipal police force, calling a recent report from the Surrey Police, uh, police Service fear-mongering. Assistant Commissioner Brian Edwards joins us now. Mr. Edwards, thank you for speaking to us today. Uh, good afternoon, Jazz, and good afternoon to all your listeners and Merry Christmas and uh, best holiday wishes as well. Well, thank you so much. We've got lots to talk about here. Yesterday, we had Chief Constable Lipinski from the Surrey Police Service uh, on the show. Uh, he was certainly talking about uh, the tremendous amount of work that's already gone into uh, uh, building up the SPS. Uh, and uh, they sent in a report to uh, the provincial government. Uh, we are expecting a, a decision in regards to whether they're going to continue with the SPS or not early in the new year. Uh, your thoughts, first of all, to some of the comments that Mr. Lipinski made, specifically in regards to that the SPS, in many ways, is at the point of no return, number one, and, and number two, that many of the uh, recruits that they've already brought in don't have any desire to join the RCMP. Well, I'll, um, I'll mention first past the point of no return. That's uh, not a decision for Norm Lipinski or myself to make. I can say factually that is certainly not consistent uh, with what we know remains to be done. Uh, we do not have a legal agreement in place for phase two to uh, transfer uh, police of jurisdiction to SPS. So it's just, it's, it's simply inconsistent with the facts that are before us. Um, in terms of uh, SPS members, this has been repeatedly uh, said by Norm Lipinski, it refers to a pledge uh, made by the Surrey Police Union. Um, I've stayed out of it. I think that employment is an individual choice, but given the number of times it's been repeated in public, I will say this, we've had multiple confidential inquiries by SPS members 
who have indicated that should the decision to uh, retain the RCMP be made by the provincial government, they intend on patching over to the Surrey RCMP. The report that they did send to the provincial government, uh, uh, you've referred to it as as misleading. Um, is it the specific recruits they're talking about? What what uh, in the totality of it do you think is misleading? What I think is uh, misleading are a number of points. It spends a significant amount of time uh, in their narrative uh, trying to discredit the RCMP. The specific point that I take exception two specifically it relates to uh, they indicate and they call into question the ability of the rcmp to provide effective and adequate policing in surrey now and into the future and i strongly disagree with that in fact the director of police services has just indicated within the last few weeks that adequate and effective policing is being provided in surrey and any suggestion to the contrary by SPS executive leadership is shameful. Can uh, this relationship, and, and ultimately the decision will come in the, in the new year, but do you worry about the overarching impact this entire conversation on the law enforcement side, the political side, what impact it's having on the overarching perception citizens have of law enforcement and policing in Surrey? I absolutely do, Jazz. That's why I'm phoning in today. I have always maintained a position that I will not criticize municipal models of policing. I'm a former municipal officer. I'm not going to criticize Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg. They provide valuable service to the citizens and they're an integral part of policing in this country. I draw the line at others, the SPS, continuing to criticize the RCMP model, it is just not factual. Crime has dropped in Surrey for 10 years. To sow the seeds of uh, uncertainty and try to attack confidence in policing, as I said, is shameful. I won't allow it. I have all the time in the world. If SBS and Norm Lipinski want to advocate for what they do and what they will do better, but to do so and discredit, to try to create a lack of confidence in the Surrey RCMP is simply not appropriate. And I have not done that, nor will I do that, because policing is not zero sum. It's not one or the other. And they need, they need to have tolerance for other models of policing that provide adequate and effective policing in this country. What do you say to the argument broadly that the RCMP shouldn't be in, in contract policing, that it should be more like the FBI in, in the United States looking at national issues, national and transnational crime, and, uh, you know, Alberta is looking at a provincial police force, British Columbia should get there, or at least have two or three police forces, a Metro Vancouver, one for the island, one for the rest of BC, that that is where this province needs to go, and it doesn't really include or involve the RCMP and the Surrey's transition, or the conversation around the transition, is part of that broader conversation that ultimately, medium term and long term, the RCMP really doesn't have much of a future in contract policing, whether it be the lower mainland or other parts of the province. Well, I don't, uh, that's, a, that's a common issue that's been raised over many, many years. The evidence that we know 
uh, Alberta is looking at it, but then we see multiple 69 municipalities put their hands up and say, hey, we're not on board with that. We've seen at the Union of BC Municipalities, the hands go up and say, hey, hold on a minute, we want to look further into this. We don't have the details and the information to lead us down that. Well, certainly the facts uh, don't support it in terms of effectiveness of policing. We are continuing to provide that. So when we look at the facts, the decision is, uh, is made by others. Who polices Surrey? Who polices the province? But in terms of adequate and effectiveness and who has the capability, uh, then I need to see that report before me. There certainly wasn't a business case uh, that was done in Surrey. And the province uh, has raised that as part of the special committee report. But also, it doesn't indicate that creating multiple new municipal police agencies is the way to go. So I don't think that you can take uh, either moving to certain police service or retaining the RCMP in Surrey as indicative of the direction the government's going to go on that, because that simply wasn't said. And I don't think you can infer that from the report without the government weighing in. Uh, let's just step away from the SPS RC, RCMP conversation. Let's just say it remains with the RCMP. Um, and this is a, a law enforcement question and a political one as well, because the ultimate decision in, in budgeting is going to come from the municipality. Do you think you have enough officers to adequately, adequately um, keep Surrey safe? Vancouver has significantly more, and, and that city is the city is unique in the sense it's got a downtown, you have more events and those types of things. But geographically, you're, you're double the size of Vancouver, Surrey. You're growing at about 1,500 residents a month. Do you think presently there are enough officers, or do you think a decision needs to be made over the medium term and long term that you need significantly more police officers beyond this debate, significantly more boots on the ground to effectively police Surrey? At this point in time, the number 734 was uh, what the city is prepared to fund. Uh, during the course of transition in the previous city administration, there was a request to fund and lower the limit to 675 during the course of transition, which is, the RCMP were the ones that fought against that and said we needed 734. And during that time, the SPS was silent on that, so, or, or we would have had less than 734. If the RCMP is to be retained in Surrey, I will certainly bring forward a case to add officers in a measured and responsible fashion that I know are going to make an impact. But Jazz, I just want to make one point. I'm supported by over 360 officers that are in the integrated teams. And they're not on my bench strength directly in Surrey, but they're the second tier of the bench. And so at a moment's notice, I've got the I hit the collision reconstruction, the dogs, hurt and forensic identification uh, section, which are in place in Surrey. So you can't necessarily compare apples uh, to oranges in this case with Vancouver because they don't have the strength of the integrated teams behind them. We also have access to CFSEU. So it's a broader discussion. Yes, I would like to increase strength and bring uh, uh, a case uh, to City Council uh, and uh, look at the goals, objectives, and priorities of the city to make sure that that uh, strength and growth uh, matches that of the city. Yeah. Assistant Commissioner Edwards, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, you making time for us today and for our audience. A very important issue that I know will be uh, in the news once again uh, in, in January, just in a few weeks. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jazz, and thank you to all your listeners. 
Welcome back to the show. Well, we've had another week of opinions, experts, open line, wisdom, hot takes, and this week, snow, freezing rain, and now some flooding. It's that time to bring together our dynamic duo to help explain the week that was. It's time for The Wrap. Goodbye now. It's over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is The Wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's... Well, this week we look at why are Hallmark Christmas movies so popular and a rap panel shares their naughty and nice list. Joining us today is our regular rap panel, Leah Halive is a TV reporter and radio host, and Sarah Daniels is a real estate agent in South Surrey. She's an author and broadcaster as well. Leah, Sarah, welcome. Happy holidays. Hi, guys. Happy holidays. <laughs> well, there is a place where it's always Christmas, where there is always snow on the ground, where togetherness is the word to live by, where the horrors of the world reliably subside and the flurries of a, and the flurries of a beautiful snowstorm. Well, if in Narnia it was always winter but never Christmas, then on the Hallmark Channel it's always winter and it's always Christmas, at least between the months of October and January. Now, the standard line about Hallmark's endless parade of made-for-TV Christmas movies is that they're dumb and probably super cheesy, but they give your grandmother something to watch. They are very popular. In fact, the company aired its first Christmas movie, in 2000, and the, the company's collection of holiday-themed films have swelled to over 100 movies with no signs of slowing down. This year alone, get this, the Hallmark Channel plans to add 41 films, or added 41 films to its roster, with each film being released during Hallmark's annual countdown to Christmas. Now, almost every Hallmark movie, with a few exceptions, can be boiled down to the same formulaic plot beat, if you think about it. A hardworking woman meets a conventionally attractive man after a recent hardship, falls in <laughs> love, has her problem solved in an incredibly convenient way, all in time to usher in the holidays and live happily ever after. If you don't believe me, take a listen to this parody. Is that my childhood best friend who never left this small town? I thought that truck belonged to the best QBR high school ever had. How's running your small business and taking care of your ailing grandparent? Boo's Clues has been struggling and Grandmama's in hospice. How's New York Law School? Let's just say that the only bar I'm concerned about this weekend is the one you own. <laughs> you know who's coming to town? Santa? Duh. And also Stacy from high school. You mean the girl I had a crush on in high school before I moved away because I was sick of this small town? There she is now! Stacy from high school! Oh my goodness! You startled me. I almost spilled my hot cocoa. It's been my favorite since, since high school. school. How you been, guy from high school who had a crush on me but moved away because he was sick of living in this small town? Hey, the most successful wedding planner in the southeast. Here, let me brush <laughs> this real snow off your shoulder that weirdly hasn't melted. Oh, you don't have to... <laughs> You're engaged. I am. But I don't know if I'm... happy. This feels like the greatest moment for a pun. Ooh, ooh, it's beginning to look a lot like Kissmas. I thought he wasn't supposed to talk. You're gonna get written out of the sequel. <laughs> oh my god, I actually thought that was wow. real for a moment. I know. <laughs> Let me go to you first, Leah. Your thoughts on this, because Hallmark uh, uh, wow. Christmas special, specials are so popular, like other networks now rip them off. I think Netflix this year has a has one with, uh, um, um, who was that 90s, an early yacht star? Uh, it's going to come to me. Somebody help me here. She was like, she was a teenage, Lindsay Lohan, that's it. Thank you, Ryan. Lindsay Lohan's, oh, uh, right? Oh, yeah, right? So, yeah. so Leah, tell your thoughts on why you think uh, the Hallmark Christmas movies oh. are so popular. I mean, the acting is brilliant, isn't it? It's just Oscar <laughs> Academy Award nominees all the way around. <laughs> oh my god! Do you watch them? I just, you know, 
I don't. And I think it's hopeless romantics, right? It's the women that read the book, you know, the novels, the romance novels that are, you know, watching these movies and they make, you know, they're, they raise the ratings because they're the ones watching them. I think that a lot of guys really aren't watching these. And if they are, well, you know, kudos to them because they're hopeless romantics. But I think the main reason, and I was doing some research on this, a woman named T. Makano Choke, she is a researcher of media psychology and she says... There's a lot of dopamine and oxytocin that is released when you watch these movies. It de-stresses you, makes you happy. So I think that's why people flock to that because they just want to get out of this chaos in this world and just, you know, feel happy and loving and think that people have a great time at Christmas. I mean, who who in the right mind goes to see their family and it's great like these movies? It's not. It's not. Right? <laughs> Sarah, do they make you happy, Sarah? I think that the guys that watch these movies are like basically yeah. writing down all the lines and using it to shovel <laughs> into some poor woman that they needed a bar around Christmas time and bam, yeah. guess who's getting oh, something Christmas. in their stocking that's right my friends all the innuendo right there they're, they're just yeah. they're horrible it's kind of like I mean it, it kind of it's hearkening back to a day that never really existed because I mean these these like fanciful towns yeah. that don't have any like chain stores or anything like that and Everybody has a successful small business and everybody's dressed like, like an L.L. Bean catalog and and nothing bad seems to happen. And it's never raining and the snow yeah. is perfect. Nobody's getting stuck in an ice storm. That's not happening in no, a Hallmark movie. No, no one's getting so, stuck in an ice storm. No, I, would think, exactly. I, would think like, I would think like after all that, you watch that movie and it's like, oh, my God, I'm feeling suicidal now. This is my life looks <laughs> yeah, like you feel awful. compared to these people. <laughs> this is not good. It, it's it's just I just find it like I mean, you know, stabbing myself in the eye would probably be more fun. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you both are you're very you're both right. I mean, I think it's um, Leah. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's also the world is changing so much that I think we mm. we yearn not even just Christmas time but throughout the year. Um, because they're always on. It's just that we're yearning something for happy. something happy and traditional yeah. as well. Like I think so many yeah. things that we viewed as Nostalgic traditional in the past. You know. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, but I mean, and and you could actually use that for anything because I mean, even when on the, on the on the days when you know, little Leave It to Beaver were actually airing in the fifties and sixties. I mean, that was like a a fancified sort of version of what everybody's life was, and that was supposedly middle-class suburbia but if you ask most people that grew up during that time it's like that never happened i don't remember anything like that right so (laughs) everything is sort of a fanciful version of what people would like to remember things actually being yeah and if you if you you watch it jazz no i my my wife no no, i i can't can't sit like i i've actually said come on oh no i know i know and the other thing is that they're cheap to make those movies like i mean if you look at it most of them are made here in vancouver i mean it's it's Langley makes a fortune off of doing production and cloverdale the small little town cloverdale is like capital because they've got those little main street vibes the little in cloverdale as well as in uh, fort langley mm-hmm. oh they, yeah. There's, okay. yeah there's there's fake snow in those locales all the live long day yeah i think they do it in steveson and out in, in ladner as yep. well yeah yeah totally so it's our they do fault ladner a lot yeah it's our fault in vancouver yeah. <laughs> we encourage it right oh, and, and we're not jolly on the white rock filming. waterfront too yeah oh uh, yes to play <laughs> california probably yeah. yeah. Probably. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, co- coming up next. <laughs> that's right. Well, oh coming up God. next, move over Santa. Our rap panel tells us who's on their naughty and nice list. That's next. Oh. 
Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, we are talking to our rap panel. Lee Halive is a TV reporter and radio host, and Sarah Daniels is a real estate agent in South Surrey, author and broadcaster uh, as well. Well, Santa is making a list, and better be sure he's checking it twice. He's going to find out if you're naughty or if you're nice. Well, we made the same request of our rap panel. So many choices this year from celebrities, politicians, pop culture. So let's go to Sarah Daniels first. Sarah, who's on your uh, naughty and nice list this year? Um, for the naughty list, Elon Musk, for ah. sure, with, with a side, <laughs> yep. side helping of Kanye West. Um, <laughs> because they're both jackasses, and I'm sorry it's almost Christmas Eve, and I don't know if I can say that on the air, but I did, and I don't care. No, that's, um, th- those so are good choices, solid yeah, choices. Third, and, and for the nice list, Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of the U- of Ukraine, rather, Um I mean, anybody that does any work volunteering for animals or at the food banks, mm. or anything, I mean, that's it's hard to put a name on on those kind of things. But the, the people that do that kind of tireless work day in and day out and mm-hmm. don't get enough thanks. I mean, our healthcare workers, um, people are driving the buses right now, just just people that have to go into a retail job in this kind of weather. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the everyday forgotten person, those those people that do all the the hard stuff that a lot of us don't want to do. They are all on my nice list. Yeah, you know that's, that's a really good point you make at the end. <laughs> like I came in the other day and went to grab a coffee on a coffee shop here. All those folks probably came in by uh, transit, and yep. they're still they're there and they're serving and they work hard. And the tip of the hat to them. Yeah. And I also like the Zelensky choice. Uh, that was a boss move the other day when he went oh, to meet uh, President yeah. Biden, and he didn't wear a suit. I thought that's a boss move. Yeah. <laughs> so and he brought he was, the flag. Yeah. Exactly. Very <laughs> good. And I and I Elon Musk and Kanye. There's nothing else to say about those two. They just yeah. Uh, um, next level. So, Leah, how about you? You're naughty and nice list. Okay. What about Putin? Did we forget oh, about yeah, Putin? Uh, yeah. Definitely I mean, on the naughty list. I don't even list. like saying his name. Yeah. Yeah. That's no. a, that's a good choice. And Donald Trump, 100%. Totally. Uh, I had Elon Musk as well, so we're in mm-hmm. agreement with that. And then I also thought, what about snow and inflation? That's in our naughty list yes. this year, yes. too. Making a, a bad, you know reputation i thought for nice list definitely what you said sarah Healthcare workers 100 percent agree animal shelter people yes i i know i'm really close with a lot of animal shelters i tweet about animals all the time because i know the people that run these places and they're inundated with cats and dogs totally. it's crazy right now so kudos to them i love them for them doing this hard work and taking kin animals that nobody wants and they take them in so yep i love absolutely. them they're on my nice list and um definitely sarah and definitely jazz are on my nice list <laughs> Well, so okay, well, why owe you money or something like that? Why? Why? There's no. I'm not on anybody's nice list. There's something horribly wrong. No, <laughs> no. But I mean, is it? Um, do you? Let me go to you, Sarah, for a second. Like, is it? Um, is it just harder sometimes? Like, it seems to me people just have a short fuse this day and age. I mean, I don't know why that is. And I think we got to remind ourselves heading into 2023 <laughs> to just. Just take it, you know, step back be a little nice. bit and be patient, be nice. Uh, whether it's, um, you know, so you're delayed getting a coffee or you're cut off, whatever it may be while you're commuting in, whatever it is, we just seem to be very short-tempered this day and age. It's hard. I mean, I like, you know, I can feel my blood boiling at times for sure. Um, I, I always <laughs> have to remind myself in the back of my head because for some bizarre reason, people still recognize me and nobody wants to be like, you know, screaming and pounding behind the wheel of the car on the horn and then somebody going... Are you Sarah Daniels? Because that's just not, you know, that's just not going to work <laughs> yeah. out well for me. Because it's always more interesting to tell a story when you know the the idiot from the the former idiot from the morning news was, you know, doing something. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I try to consistently um, act the way I want people to treat me. 
Yeah. Um, it can be difficult at times. Um, some people, bring, <laughs> yeah. like some people, are just so egregiously awful that sometimes they that does get the better of me. But I try to act de- on the default as being um, pa- paying it forward, being a good person. Yeah, that, absolutely. I'm just curious. In yeah. this time of the year, is this your favorite time of the year? I, I personally find this to be my favorite oh, time of the year. How about you? I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I put on my tree way too early. I keep it up way too late. I don't want to like take it down, so I have to have a fake tree. Otherwise, it would be crisp as heck. So <laughs> I I love Christmas. I love looking at lights. I love going and wrapping pre- like tonight. I have to wrap more presents. I thought I was dumb, but apparently I'm not. So I have more presents <laughs> to wrap tonight with some wine. And my cat, I posted a, you know, on Twitter. My cat is a lot of help, so that takes me four more That's hours good. to wrap some yeah. presents. So, <laughs> so I love this time. Like I, I just absolutely love this time. Even though everybody's cranky and angry, I just, you know what? Once everything's done and you're like with your, you know, sitting at the dinner table, just relaxing. Everybody's arguing. It's like, oh yes, this is right. Absolutely. All is right with the world. <laughs> you know, I, I, all I want to say uh, as well is like, I, this show is an incredible privilege, and I get to meet interesting people and. You get to be part of a broader conversation for this province and the city. But I got to tell it for both of you folks, I love doing this segment. You two are absolutely <laughs> fabulous. And nobody's we paying love me. It too. And it's fun. And, uh, We're you know. kind of like your drunk cousins. <laughs> Yeah, every Friday, your drunk cousins phone in and go, "Hey, what's going on, Jess? Let's talk about the world. What about that barge?" Yeah, I prefer to call you my fun cousins. How about that? Right there, you go. Oh, okay. So, Leah uh, and (laughs) Sarah, thank you so much once again, and Merry Christmas uh, to both of you, and we'll and we'll catch up uh, in the new year. Take care of yourselves. All the best, gang. You too, guys. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.